Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 288th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebounded, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Just Josh here once again with you guys today. Got a great interview, a great guest, um, and a conversation I had with Nada Edwards the producer of the Eye on College Basketball podcast. In my opinion, it's the best national college basketball podcast out there. Um, And I'll make it known, guys, that I offered Anthony the opportunity to uh, be a part of this interview, get him involved with with, with Nada, but he was afraid because he was uh, afraid that with my opinions and, and Nada's opinions and you know, if you're if you're a local listener in the in the Charlotte area, Nada, you know, worked at WFNZ, the same radio station I work at now. He's worked at a lot of different places. He's a great he's a great uh, content creator, great radio guy, um, very opinionated, um, and that's why I wanted to bring him on was to get his thoughts and comments on Carolina's seven and two start. Um, and so, without further ado, here's my conversation with Nada Edwards. I am now joined by Nada Edwards, the producer of the Eye on College Basketball podcast. In my opinion, it's the best national college podcast out there. Nada, good morning, man. How are you doing today? I am doing well. I'm doing doing very, very well. How are you doing this morning? Uh, you know, I cannot complain. Um, it's it's getting closer and closer to the holidays, so I think everyone is for the most part, in better spirits this time of the year. And um, even coming off a loss the other night where Carolina fell in the Garden to UConn, um, they, they they fell 87-76, to 76, but, uh, you know, it was 65-60 to 60 at one point in the second half. I came away rather encouraged from what I saw from, from Carolina on the hardwood against, in my opinion, 
the best team I've seen so far the first month of the season. What did you take away from Carolina's loss to the Huskies on Tuesday night? See, we've had these conversations, many of us have these conversations like in private or so about I've, I've had my doubts about North Carolina. This time I can't I, I gotta walk a lot of that back because any other ACC team in that regard is getting blown by twenty twenty five because UConn is quite honestly that good. And more importantly, that's a de facto home game in MSG for UConn. There are certain things that you can that you may not like, but Harrison Ingram showed well for himself. Cormac Ryan showed very well for himself. Elliot Cadeau, which I think is the most important part about that because he's only going to get better. There's a lot of this to where I'm not sure I would be all sky is falling. And in fact, I would say of all the matchups, the worst matchup in the ACC for UConn might be Carolina, and it may not be close either. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think you bring up a de facto home game for UConn. They call the Garden Store South. I thought Carolina was well represented there, but that's already what UConn's third game I think this year at the Garden. Um, Carolina yeah. plays there once a year, and even though Hubert Davis wants to go back there more often. For a lot of those guys, they've never been on that stage, the mecca of basketball. And so um, I, I said going into the game, Nada, that this game was a measuring stick game for the team and the program after an offseason where they overhauled a lot. I mean, you shipped out a handful of players. You brought in a whole new crop. Did you get the sense that even though they didn't beat UConn, that they belong on the big stage with some of the best teams in the country? They're not big stage ready yet, but they're on the path. They're a lot. This team is a lot grittier than last year because last year they take a cut again. Granted, UConn doesn't doesn't hit a whole bunch of shots, but in that second half, it could have snowballed. Last year with Caleb Love, who you can't blame anymore, but last year that snowballs to 20, 25, 30. We see some infighting. There might even be an Instagram post or a tweet or a subtweet later going on about, hey, this, again, it's not my fault. It's this guy's fault. There's no one to blame on this roster anymore. And there's a lot of growth. And it shows that Huber kind of has the team he wants. Now it's just on him and the rest of the guys to put it together. But I do think they're headed in a really, really good direction at this point. Matt Norlander, the guy that hosts the podcast you produce, he said the other day that Carolina isn't a top 10 team, which they're ranking – uh, is as of right now, they're ranked ninth in the country, but he believes they are a top 25 team. Where do you think Carolina falls in terms of, you know, are, are they a top 10 team or more of a top 20, top 25-ish type of, type of squad? I hate to sit on the fence, but I'm going to go with Ken Pomeroy, who has them at 15 right now. And I do think that they're a top 15 team. Where that puts you in the ACC is probably top two, top three. But at the same point, like I do believe that they have the ability to get to be a top 10 team, a team that we see go deep into the tournament. It just takes a little bit of maturing. That's what the rest of the ACC season is for. The, the ACC season is for. That's what a lot of these things are going to be. It, 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 there's a lot of tests that they're going to face, obviously the Duke game, the Virginia games. But I think there's going to be a chance that this team can be a top 10 team. I'm just not sure they're there yet. 
One of the things that makes college basketball so much different and, and unique from the NBA is the big man still has a presence. And this year is maybe the year of the big man with Edie at Purdue, Dickinson at Kansas. Of course, you got Mondo at Carolina, Flip at Duke, and then Donovan Klingon for UConn. And there's no denying that Baycott, while he put up 13 and 13 the other night, 4 of 12 from the field, 5 of 10 from the foul line, he caught a lot of criticism from Carolina fans the other night. A lot of people complaining about him not improving on the offensive end and that he gets shut down against quality bigs, which Klingon's going to be a top, you know, he's going to be a lottery pick in the draft next year in the NBA. Is that criticism fair or is it invalid? There's some fair criticism to it. What I would, but what I would point out is that, like you, like you kind of pointed out, like there's levels to this. I like Armando Baycott, but his ceiling is what? Maybe a second round guy, like a second round guy, maybe a guy that we see in the Greensboro Swarm next year. Like Donovan Klingon is that guy that where to where I'm just not sure that I expected much out of him. I will say this though, my biggest criticism. Probably of Armando Baycott is the is, isn't his offense. It's his defense. It's once you recognize that he cannot move laterally. Once you put him in the pick and roll, then you have a problem. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he's going to have to have the offense to pick pick it back up. And I'm not sure against the Klingons of the world. I'm not sure he can. Now that does not go for the Zach Eadies of the world, who I think he can play against the Hunter Dickinsons of the world, who have quite literally the same issues that he does. I would probably tell you, like, Klingon is a rare case. I think there's, a, again, Igadaro out in for Marquette is a, probably a rare case where they're going to give guys like Baycott trouble, and that's where you need to rely on Jalen Washington. But I would also say the Dickinsons, the Edies of the world, those are the guys that Baycott can compete with and that he'll be just fine in those matchups. A, a guy that's really taken another step, and typically you don't see guys marginally improve from their junior to senior seasons. By you know, I, I've always said that. But you know, who you are as a junior is who you are. But R.J. Davis has taken his his game to another level, um, and the biggest reason why is he's no longer sharing the backcourt with Caleb Love, who's out there in Arizona. Did you expect R.J. Davis to thrive this much without Caleb Love, a guy that's shooting? Over, you know, he's averaging over twenty points per game. The shooting numbers are starting to get to where you expect them to be about forty five percent from the field, thirty seven, thirty eight percent from behind the three point line. Did you see this production coming from RJ, or has he even maybe taken you by surprise? No, he has. He absolutely has. I would, I would also argue to say that the only person that's not surprised by Caleb, that is not surprised by RJ's improvement, quite honestly, might be his mother. At this point, like. He's and we're seeing the benefits of having an Elliot Cadeau that can set up the shots and not have a guy that's taking bad twenty-five foot, thirty-foot jumpers. Now there's more flow to the offense. There's more things that make sense. There's guys that the floors that the floor is space. And now we're seeing because I believe RJ's had what five straight games of twenty-point performances at this point. Yep. So I would say that he's been everything that you could ask for and more because I don't think anyone saw this coming. And I think if he keeps this going, he's the shoe-in for ACC Player of the Year at this point. Speaking of that, let's go back to the preseason. I was at ACC Media Days. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure you were there as well. We got the preseason all-ACC ballots. 
all preseason ACC teams, and R.J. Davis's name wasn't on there. How surprised were you by that? I'm not because we got to remember that what Carolina came off of. Yeah. And we have to remember that that was, quite honestly, a, a, travis, uh, a travesty and a mockery and a lot of things that Carolina basketball should never be. So when we have these com- – like, I'm not surprised that R.J. Davis was left off the conversation because a lot of people, including me, were all, were on this. You have to show me you've improved because, y'all, again, we put every, we put them preseason number one, and they basically made us all look like idiots. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to you in the preseason. Everybody that I brought on, I asked this question, and we've we've mentioned Caleb Love's names quite a few times here. So I've I've got to ask you because I know you've got opinions on this. What did you think of the way that Carolina? handled his exit from the program? I, I think, honestly, it handled like everybody else's. And I, I'm okay with the way that they handled it. I'm, I think a lot of the mistakes that were made were made last December with the whole Deja Kelly thing and the way that thing was never addressed. Mm-hmm. And it probably should have been. But I, do, I don't blame them for the way the exit was handled because there was always going to be someone that was going to take the blame. Now, mind you, had you talked to me right around the summer, I would have told you all three, RJ, Armando, and Caleb should go. But I'm just, at this point, I'm, I'm okay with how they handled it because it's like every other, every other like departure that has been done. It's similar to what happened with Dickinson in Michigan at this point. Why? Well, I've got to follow up and let's go back to the summer. Why, if I would have asked you on June 18th that not only should Caleb Love leave, but Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis, why were you the opinion that that Carolina should have cleaned house with all three of those guys? Because I wanted Hubert to fail or, again, to fail or succeed on his own with his own guys. Yeah. And at some point, I really like Armando Baycott. I think Jalen Washington is the better big to, to be defensive, to build a defense around. Mm. I like R.J. Davis. I would have been okay if he left. Caleb Love, I don't think <laughs> needs any explanation on why Caleb Love needed to go. But uh, like I was just thinking, start fresh, because at this point, if Hubert didn't perform or underperformed, we would probably be talking about Wes Miller being the coach at this point next year. We're going to dive into that a little bit later because I, I I do, as as I've now kind of come full circle from a guy that fired Hubert Davis in year one to now coming around to saying, hey, look, Carolina basketball is in the best interest that this guy's here for the next 15, 20 years. We'll get to that in just a minute. Um, did you happen to watch the halftime the other night of between Carolina and UConn? I missed it. I was because uh, I again, I, full disclosure, I re- rarely watch the halftime game, the halftime shows, and I probably should. Yeah, I mean, like it was just one where like I had it on because there was really nothing else to do. Jay Williams said during halftime that Carolina can win a national championship if Harrison Ingram becomes their primary focus on the offensive end. So I've got a two part question mm. for you: A, is he right? And then B. How do you justify taking the ball out of R.J. Davis's hands with the way he's playing on that end of the floor right now? That's why I, yeah, I can't agree with Jay. I don't because I think R.J. is your is your hub. I think, and we're seeing Armando having a tough time adjusting to be number two, being number two, two A or two B, depending on how important you think 
Harrison Ingram is. I just, I, I can't agree with them. But I think they can win a championship. It's just, how does, how does the bracket fall for me? Like, yeah. are they going up against the UConn? Because if so, if so, then no one's winning the title. But if UConn has an off night and they go home early, like, I can see a whole bunch of different scenarios to this, but I don't think it needs to be Harrison Ingram has to be the guy to, to end up being the, the leader. It doesn't make sense for me, especially when RJ is giving you all these great results. And at some point, like, let's recognize it for what it is. Like, they're one of the best teams in the ACC. They're probably going to get the double buy in the ACC, all behind RJ Davis. Let the man cook. It's working so far. The only two losses they had, they had to Villanova in a in an overtime game, and then oh yeah, they lose to probably like you said, one of the best teams, if not the national title favorite. We're talking with Nada Edwards, the producer of the Eye on College Basketball podcast. I've got a couple more questions for you, Nada, and I'll let you go. We can't we can't talk about Carolina basketball without talking about Elliot Cadeau, the guy that had the most hype and expectation uh, of, of the newcomers coming in after he reclassified as a five-star freshman. Um, and he submitted himself as a starter. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, his passing has lived up to expectation. Um, and he gets a lot of comparisons to Kendall Marshall, and rightfully so. Can Carolina reach their goals without their lead, or not their lead guard, because that's RJ James, without their floor general not being a a primary scorer? I think they can because I think there's enough scoring on the on the perimeter between Harrison Ingram, Cormac Ryan, I, 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 RJ, obviously. I just wonder, can he hold up defensively? Like, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I don't think that he needs to shoot. I think he just needs to dis- distribute and defend, and he should be just fine. But for the most part, like, Elliot Cadeau reminds me a lot of Kendall Marshall. And I'll throw another comp at you, Ed Cota. Like, I think he can be one of the greatest point guards in North Carolina history. And that's a lofty goal. Like, I I think he can be that good. I think he's going to stay two, three years. And he's going to end up breaking some records in that time. And I think, like, we're, we're, we're talking about very, very special, but at the same point, He's just got to distribute. He's got to defend. And once he, if he does all that, and at some point give you a cut of the occasional bucket or two, I think it'll be just fine. Do you see Elliot Cadeau being in a Tar Heel uniform for multiple seasons? I do because of the lack of size. Yeah, I think he's. I, I, I think if he was like six three, six four, I would be much more concerned. The fact that he's closer to six foot, I think, is going to end up being the thing that holds him back. You mentioned Cormac Ryan and, 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 the, and his ability to score from the perimeter. We haven't seen that so far this season. He entered Tuesday night's game shooting 29% from three, and then he shot 0 of 6 the other night. Do you think before the season's over, we'll see the guy that we saw for many years at Notre Dame, that production in a Tar Heel uniform? I think you have to. Because if this team is... The championship is the goal, and championship should always be the goal at Chapel Hill. If the championship is the goal, then he's going to have to start shooting the perimeter, or else they're going to start sagging in on Baycott as that two A off, two A two or two B option, and then RJ's pass to the basket gets that much harder. He's going to have to show up. He's going to have to have a game. Now, mind you. I, again, I think of Brady Manic and how Brady Manic really didn't show up till like January, February. He's got a little bit of time, but time is quickly running out. But 
they're going to need that from him because if not, then this team is going to go home earlier than I think that everyone's thinking they are. You mentioned that you know you were of the belief that Huber Davis should have been open to R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott exiting the program. That way he could have either succeeded or failed on his own with his own guys. He's in his third season. Um, he's coaching a national championship game, and he's missed the NCAA tournament. How would you properly evaluate Huber Davis in his two-plus years on the job? This is a tough one because there's a part of me that really believes that he's actually a really good coach, but also they needed a motivating factor. First year, it's obviously, let's ruin Kay's swan song, which they did perfectly. Yep. At the same point, they failed the test of who are you when you're not trying to ruin somebody else's party? Can you stand on your own too? And he lost control of a senior or, or, or an upperclassman lady locker room this year is the first year where i can say they have a lot to prove and so far they have proven it but at the same point i i want to see what this season i I don't feel like i can properly evaluate him without seeing how this ends if you tell me this ends elite eight uh final four okay cool you got the you've got your guy this ends in a round one or round two exit or heaven forbid they don't make the tournament, then we got we got problems here because then you're going to hear the West the West Miller <laughs> comparison and you're going to hear all of this stuff of we could we need to get another coach in here. So I I don't know that's a tough one. Like I feel like he's done okay, but at the same point, this is like okay is not okay at Carolina. The standard ha- happens to be the standard. Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong, and you're talking to a guy that you know when we were going through the coaching search, um, and I'm a pro family dude. Um, there aren't many. There's uh, there's the guy that beat Carolina. The other, the only guy I'd say if we want to go outside the family and hire, I'd hire Danny Hurley. I wanted Wes Miller to be the coach. Um, mm-hmm. they they hire Huber Davis. Um, they lose by 20 or more in back to back games in this first year to Wake Forest in Miami. I effectively fired him and said we made a mistake. And then we go on the run. You know, we 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 beat Duke twice. We play for a national title. We come back last year, and I don't think Hubert Davis was the problem. So now you're saying you don't know how to evaluate until you know how it ends. I'm of the opinion that as long as he makes the tournament, he's safe. Because the last guy to miss back-to-back tournaments was Matt Doherty, and he didn't <laughs> yeah. come back for a fourth season. Do you agree with that assessment, or do you think after last year's flop where you were preseason number one, you recreate the iconic Sports Illustrated image in the preseason, and then you miss the NCAA tournament altogether, then you skip the NIT, there has to be a significant run in March for him to have a for him to be back on the bench next season? Well, I would tell you this, that I there's a lot of this that were I think that he needs the Final Four to be safe, safe. I think because of how this thing flamed out and everything that happened, and the, the skipping of the NIT, I don't necessarily blame him for because they would have only embarrassed themselves even further with all the folks that would have left. So yeah. I didn't blame them for skipping the NIT. But I do think that at some point you have to, like, just get out of the first weekend. That's all I'm asking. I think that for a Carolina program that has had as many pelts on the wall as any school in the nation, like at some point, just get out of the first weekend. I think you have more than enough talent. But if they miss the tournament, yeah, he's absolutely gone. And if it looks 
readily apparent that he's going to miss the tournament. They they may not even wait. So I do think he's got to make the tournament, but I also think like to feel really safe, just get out of the first weekend. That I think going getting that much and having the recruiting classes that he's bringing in is going to help him a lot and help his case a lot. I've referenced, Nada, that you are the producer of the Eye on College Basketball podcast, and I, I want to talk about that uh, for, for just a few moments. Um, the first thing I want to ask you is, what is the best part of your job? Oh, it's, it's Parrish. Like, because Parrish will say something or do something that will have me, like, deep in some video editor and cutting something up to be like, oh, we have to make fun of this man. So it's, <laughs> it's literally Parrish. The other part is, quite honestly, the, the travel. And sometimes I get to go to a really, really great tournament. Sometimes I get to stay here, go to these really excellent basketball Hall of Fame classics. Like, I, I enjoy the sport of basketball. So being in this environment is always going to be one of those the most rewarding parts of this job for me. Are you going to be at the Jumpman? Of course I'm going to be at the Jumpman. Oh, Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's the, but it's funny because it's like I love this job so much that I don't take vacations. And ironically, the last thing before I actually take a vacation is the Jumpman. Like I'm, I'm taking a nice little Christmas vacation for the first time in three years. So I'm actually going to go and enjoy Jumpman, and then on that after, right after that, finish finish up all my duties. I get to fly, I get to hop on a plane. Oh, that's well. I mean, look, uh, I I've I've I follow the work that you do. I I know, and look, and when you when, when when you do what we do, and look, I know it's we're working in sports. There isn't a whole lot of time to vacation, so you know, whenever you do get to take one, um, that's good, and it would be a great time. Hopefully, you know, I'll be there as well. Hopefully, we'll be watching and covering. Uh, yeah. A Carolina win. Um, I'm relatively new to the podcast in terms of like the last year or so, really getting getting into it. And then now I'm a daily listener, or you know, a, 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 a three times a three week times listener. A week. Yep. Um, can you explain for my audience the Leaky Black reference that Gary Parrish says <laughs> in the open? <laughs> Leaky Black get first. Like the Leaky Black intro basically came on before I got on. But from what I from what I know, it's basically because they said they were talking about cool names in basketball. And you always know there's those always those cool names in basketball. And they just threw Leaky Black in there one time and it stuck. And for the most part, like between that and then the whole Terry Keagle, like the intro has changed from like every like the intro has changed multiple times since I've been on and I've been producing the show for about three years now like this the show has changed its intros a lot and the, the best part is like there may be something new that might get added to it just just because Parrish will come up with it because he's quite literally is so creative like the randomness uh, and the creativity of, of Gary Parrish is just insane what's and the, I mean that in the nicest possible way what's the most cringe thing Parrish does was it his you down uh, no, no, or, no. Or, or or was it because in the, in the most recent edition of the podcast they were talking about uh, Tom Fornelli being dead, and undoubtedly this is a a thing that he has been doing for years. Like, I I, I find Gary Parish absolutely hilarious, and I I, I think it's got to be fun. And like Matt Orlando does a fantastic job as well. But working with a dude like Gary Parish has to make your job go or make make, make going to work so much fun. 
it does. It, it's fun, but also I would point out like you got to go further back. I would tell you go back to like the set, like some of the YouTube episodes, like when they first started, like it's December around the CBS Sports Classic. There is a story that I cannot repeat on your podcast because I don't want it getting kicked off the internet. Wow! That, um, that he tells about um, losing his wallet in Vegas. And the thing that you got to understand is Paris loses a lot of things and has a just a, the man has bought, I want to say, double-digit AirPods. Now think about the, the budget of a man that can buy double-digit replacement AirPods. I need to be a writer. And not the regular ones, the pros. Goodness so, gracious. <laughs> yes. So, that's, so there's stories about him losing his wallet that are hilarious. There's a story about a woman of the night that he meets that I had to turn into a YouTube short. And if you look for it, like those are some of the best stories to tell about about Parrish. Those are some of the best stories. But but literally, that's what working with Parrish because you don't know which story he tells. Or I the last last one on this one, he tells a story about sticking a fresh cut jalapeno in his eye. I kid you not. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Man, that's this, this is who I work with, Fiddy. This is exactly who I work with. And so, so now I know what I'm doing, why I should be preparing the, the, the Wes and Walker show. Whenever they ask me why I'm not paying attention and I'm off in La La Land, it's because I'm 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 going down a YouTube rabbit hole of a dude putting a fresh cut jalapeno in his eye. Not I'll get you out on this. We'll end on a UNC question. Um, how do you define success for this Tar Heel team? Second weekend. Second weekend. Like, they get there. Like, we get to Sweet 16, Elite Eight. I think they're gravy. Final Four and everybody should be ecstatic, quite honestly. I think if we're talking just ACC success, double Y. I, I didn't I, – I, I'm trying to walk back a whole bunch of my I don't believe in, in UNC stuff, but at the same point, like – I think Duke is going to get it together. I think Miami is still really, really good. Um, I think Virginia is going to end up being a lot better than people think, and they could win the they could win the league in the regular season. So there's a lot of this that just feels like so fluid up in the air. But if you can just hold on to a couple of touchstones of okay, we got a double bye, finish top four, and then also we get to the second weekend, I think that everything is going to be gravy and no one can really say much about Hubert and the job he's done this year. Yep, I got to agree. You get to the second weekend of the tournament, it becomes the MLB postseason. It's a crapshoot from there. Well, Nada, um, I want to thank you for your time. Look, we, we've referenced and you, 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 you've told stories about the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I wouldn't be a good host if I wouldn't let you come out, come on here and promote your content. Where can people find the Eye on College Basketball Podcast? The Eye on College Basketball Podcast is basically available wherever you get podcasts. If you listen, if if you want to watch it on YouTube, there's a few more like video accoutrements that we throw in there as well. But that's what again, you can just search Eye on College Basketball Podcast. You will find it as long as you can use Google. You can find us. Well, Nana, I want to appreciate you for your time, and uh, we'll have to do this again, my man. Had a lot of fun talking uh, Carolina and college basketball with you. Absolutely, man. You know, you know my number. Feel free to call whenever, man. Yes, sir. We'll do. We'll we'll, we'll talk later. Okay. Absolutely. There you go, guys. That was the voice of Nada Edwards, the producer of the Eye 
on College Basketball Podcast. And Anthony will be uh, will be uh, proud to know that we did not fight, we did not argue. We had a nice cordial conversation about the Tar Heels and about some college basketball topics as well. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com for the latest Carolina basketball and Tar Heel football coverage. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank Nada once again for joining me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that!